The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everybody to know that there's only two reasons to ride a bicycle. You're either exercising or you have a DUI. <laughs> it's Dale. Ain't that the damn truth? Yeah. Yeah, as soon as I got a, anything with a motor on it, you're done with a damn bicycle. You don't ride a bicycle? No. Do you not? No. I don't either. No, I got about 10, but I don't ride them. Yeah, I don't ride a bicycle. <laughs> I'm too damn lazy. I mean, they, they put all the gears on them. I still don't ride them. Yeah. It makes them easier, but I still don't ride them. I don't make them easier. Just, it's in your head. You just got to pedal 10 times you still more. Got, you still got to put forth an effort. <laughs> yeah, you can put it on the easy gear. You're still pedaling 10 times more than you do the other one. This is like, damn. Like your feet and legs are going around and around and around. Not going anywhere. No. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Turns into a uh, sitting around bike. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, bud. Fun, fun. What's going on? Oh, same old. Same, same old. Same old every day. We're going to have to put same old, same old on a t-shirt. I know. We talk about it every week. Yeah. Same old, same old. Yeah, it's same old, same old for me. Rainy day. <laughs> it is a rainy day. But it's a good day to record a podcast. We're doing this on St. Patrick's Day. It's always a good day to do a podcast. Yeah, it? it is. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, everybody needs to start a podcast. I don't got on no green today. I don't either. I don't think. No, I know I don't. No, no I don't have any green on. <laughs> hey, with it. It is. It is what it is. It is. But no. you can you can still drink beer, right? I'm just trying to get pinched. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to wear a green to drink beer. No. <laughs> just crack one open and go for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You don't care about the green as long as the beer is yellow. Uh, yeah, I don't know green beer, dark beer, I don't know that shit. It looks like oh no, that pine tar <laughs> whatever roof shingle beer. Yeah, grapefruit and coconut in it. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. No, no, I don't. I don't care for doing that. No, you got any good shout outs, dude? I do, man. We got a couple good uh, Apple Podcast shout outs. Bring them on. Make. Uh, we got a couple of five star, five star, five is, star. Yeah. So first, we got one from uh, Noah with a whole bunch of numbers after it. Oh wait, anyway, it says uh, love this show! Exclamation point. Wow. Listen to y'all for most of my flight home from Germany last month. You both are so entertaining, and the content you cover is so interesting. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Noah. We appreciate that. We appreciate any and all five star. Mm-hmm. And we, we got one more, just uh, making this a double dinger. Bring it on. This, this is uh, Perlita0858. I hope I didn't butcher that too bad. Perlita, that's what it looks like to me. Anyway, and it says, love it. I just started listening to your podcast last week. I'm so happy I found y'all. I spend an average of four hours in my car daily. Ooh. I have uh, I have truly enjoyed listening to you guys. I love true crime, but you two bring another spin to it with your charm. How about that? We got I, charm? Yeah, we charming. Okay. <laughs> I actually look forward to getting back into my car so I can listen more. Thank you. And no thank you. Yes. Perlita, or whatever it is. I'm sorry. Perlita. It. Yeah, it's really cool, whatever it is. Yeah. Anyway, that's two five stars, and we appreciate it. Man, maybe uh, 
with them too somebody else can find us too that's it if anybody wants to be like perlita and noah and go to apple podcast and rate and review please do yeah and write something in the box noah noah bunch of numbers yeah a bunch of <laughs> noah a bunch of numbers yeah yep. yeah we appreciate a bunch yeah that's cool and tell all your friends about us yeah tell them all yeah get their phone and you know do it yourself that's what <laughs> that's you gotta do that's right people are lazy they need help yeah, and just going to throw a little plug here for the store page. Get on there and get you some kind of merch. Get you a T-shirt. Get you a mug. Get you something cool. Get you a sticker. Get you something cool, man. Yeah. I also like to say, man, uh, uh, our admin from uh, the fan page, he's got a GoFundMe going right now for his wife. They're just trying to go make a trip. She's uh, having some serious medical issues right now, and he said uh, things are not looking real well for her, so she's just trying to get a trip to go to st louis from the place where they live and uh we're gonna post our gofundme which i did uh the other day on my personal page and on our fan page but uh if you guys could help them out but that'd be that'd be greatly appreciated and hopefully by the time this comes out maybe or even reach their goal and it's not that high i mean come on throw them a few dollars yeah we, we can help somebody out and we've all you know lost somebody to cancer i have i lost my mom and my wife lost her mom and it's it's uh kind of touching man and uh I just want to do what I can do to help anybody out. And if you could throw them a dollar, I appreciate it. Any amount will help. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. I just want to get that out there, man. Don't and think I, your donation is too small. Any no, amount no will help them. So, yeah. So, uh, and thank you, Rich, for what you do for us. And uh, we, we hope we can help you out, buddy. Yeah, help them out. Pennies make dollars. That's right. Yep. Okay. Other than that. Let me go get my Kleenex and I'll be ready. Uh, other than uh, that, we're going to get started, bud. Yeah, fuck cancer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But if anybody thought last week's episode, Boy in the Box, was rough, hold your your your, britches. I think they go get your big boy underwear and put them on. Yeah, Big big girl drawers or whatever you got. Because this is your only warning. We're not holding back on this one. No, it's uh, pretty rough. This is rough. So just uh, hold on to your hat and hold on to your britches. (laughs) Keep your britches up because this is going to be rough. Yeah, because they'll take advantage if you don't. Yeah, that's right. But uh, we're going north of the border on this episode, Dale. North? Yeah, we're going to Canada. Ooh, this is what, three times we've been to Canada? This will be the third time doing an episode from Canada. I think it's three. Yeah. Well, we did one on... Uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Busiak. Yeah, Lindsay Busiak. She was a realtor who was killed in a home she was showing for yeah. being a real estate agent. Right. And then we did um, Dino Bravo. Dino Bravo. Yeah. Yes. He was murdered in his home. He was. Yeah, he was a professional wrestler. Professional wrestler, yep. So that was one of our early ones. But this one's not anything like that. This is um, this no, no, no. pretty rough. Yeah, only thing they might have in common is they were selling cigarettes. Yeah. Other than that. <laughs> yeah, other than that, it's not anything like it. No. But we're talking about the Ken and Barbie killers. Yeah, that sounds real nice and all, but. Yeah, it's, it is, it's not. No. But uh, they were known as uh, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka. Yes. They weren't known as they were. Yeah, they were. But we're going to talk a little bit about Paul first. Okay. Uh, Paul Kenneth Bernardo was born in Scarborough, Ontario. Yes. On August the 27th of 1964. 64. He was the third youngest child of Kenneth Walter Bernardo and Marilyn Elizabeth Bernardo. Now, he didn't come from a really good family, Dale. No. It was just bad from the get-go. His father often sexually abused his older sister, Deborah, mm. even in front of other family members. Oh, that's ballsy. Yeah. and But he would eventually be charged with crimes involving voyeurism and pedophilia. So he's peeping Tom and too. Yes. And Paul's mother often withdrew from the family due to 
depression and agoraphobia. You think so? Yeah. Eventually, just moving into the basement. Yeah, well, you know. And said that she didn't care about her health or anything. She gained weight and just kept to herself. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, with all that going on, what are you going to do? Unless you can't, if you can't get out, you got to get away somehow. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty rough life. But Paul, he was seemed to be a, a happy-go-lucky kid and well-adjusted despite his family's dysfunction. Well, he's putting on a happy face. I guess. He was a member of the Boy Scouts. And he, and he had a charming way about him too. But he gradually developed a, like pyromaniac inclinations hmm. and some dark fantasies. One of which uh, involved creating a virgin farm where he would breed virgin girls to hmm. rape. Yeah, that well, was that, that was one of his fantasies. Seems like on everybody's bucket list. Huh? What uh, the hell? Yeah. What the hell? But um, when he was sixteen years old, there was a fight that broke out between his parents. This happened in 1981. Yeah. And Paul was informed by his mother that he was the result of an extramarital affair. And his father, Kenneth, was not his biological father. Well, that's when, uh, you know, when all that stuff was going on before she banished herself to the basement, she just kind of got tired of what was going on and was had struck up a relationship with a former schoolmate. And they hit it off and had a, an affair going off, and that's when she got pregnant. And then... Uh, Kenneth knew about it, and then actually even gave Paul his name, you know. So it's kind of weird, but, yeah, it, the, Paul didn't know until this part. Yeah, he was 16 years old. Yeah, so I guess she came back and went to live in the basement. Yeah, but I don't know. Paul, he was kind of repulsed by this, and he got to calling his mother slut and whore. Yeah. And she would turn around calling him bastard from hell. What a family. Yeah, good times. <laughs> Pass the taters. <laughs> Yeah. Now, Paul, he attended Sir Wilfred Lawyer Collegiate Institute. And in 1982, he attended the University of Toronto, Scarborough. As his day job, Paul, he got a job for Amway. Yeah. A company that would had products that they would try to sell, and they had motivational. It was a pyramid gimmick, right? Yeah, and they had motivational tapes to, like, get rich schemes right yeah and he bought into all that oh yeah he was uh he wanted to read read all that and listen to every one of those motivational things he could get and he started using the this practice to start working on picking up women yeah yeah that they met in bars and and they got fairly successful with this yeah because he was a uh, he's pretty good pretty slick yeah but paul he got to where he was into some humiliating stuff on his dates yeah he would start engaging in aggressive anal intercourse with his women yeah he would just kind of humiliate them even in in public you know doing you know degrading them and stuff yeah and then get a little rough in the bed and in his relationships he became increasingly violent and unstable yeah and his partners were threatened with death if they told anybody about this abuse right keep your mouth shut on the key yeah basically and in 1986 paul was served with restraining orders by two women after he made obscene phone calls. Imagine that. Yeah. And so he's just turned out to be an outstanding young man. Yeah, he was just very, he was lit, He lived up to his uh, Boy Scout days. Yeah. Now, in October of 1987, Paul met a female by the name of Carla Homolka. Yep. And he met her at a Howard Johnson's motel. Yeah, Carla was in town at this point. She was uh, working for a pet store, and uh, they had a big pet store convention in uh, Scarborough, and uh, her and some co-workers all went to this thing, and basically for the the convention, but her and her friend, they basically went to 
party is what she said. But Carla was 17 years old at the time. Correct, Dale. yes. Yes. And they seemed to share an intimate attraction, and she got to liking Paul's sadistic sexual behavior. Well, they hit it off right away. They talked for about 30 minutes and then went up to the hotel room, all four of them, her friend, um, Paul and his friend. And right away, Carla and Paul jumped on the bed and, and just started uh, making out and roll over each other right in front of them. Tearing and, each other's clothes off. Yeah, and other people was like, really, you're going to do this? Because if you don't want to watch, you can, just, you can leave and shut the light off. And I'm like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I'd just go back to the bar and let them have it. But, yeah, so it was just that quick that they were at it and seen pretty much most of that night, I figure they continued on. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get back to Carla in just a little bit and talk a little bit more about her. But we're going to talk some more about Paul and some stuff that he had going on, Dale. Yeah, at this time, or actually a little bit before this and then back up to that time. Yeah, but between 1987 and 1990, Paul had committed some serial rapes in and around Scarborough. Yeah. And he attacked most of his victims after stalking them after they got off buses late in the evening. Yeah, he didn't figure it out that was the best way to do it. Yeah. Going through some of these, uh, one of his rapes happened on May the 4th, of 1987 this was a rape of a 21 year old scarborough woman in front of her parents home and this is when uh, paul had followed her home yeah right in her yard they said it lasts about 30 minutes i'm like damn yeah and just 10 days later on may the 14th of 87 uh paul committed the rape of a 19 year old woman in her backyard mm-hmm. of her parents house it's crazy man mm-hmm so th- just giving some information on paul and what kind of person he is um, July the 17th of 1987, there was an attempted rape of a young woman, and he beat her, and Paul abandoned the attack when she fought back. Right. So, lucky for her. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, September the 29th of 87, there was an attempted rape of a 15-year-old girl. This is when Paul broke into the victim's home and entered her bedroom. He jumped on her back and put his hands over her mouth yep. and threatened her with a knife. Right. Bruised the side of her face and bit her ear. And Paul fled when her mother entered the room and screamed. Right. But there was another guy that was actually wrongfully convicted of this assault in yeah. 1989 and served a 16-month prison sentence, but was exonerated. You know, years later. Yeah, years later. Yeah, Anthony Hanemeyer. Yeah. That's a red sucker. Yeah, serving time in prison. Yeah. But good for him that he was exonerated. Right, definitely. Yeah, the same year, December the 16th. Uh, this will be, we're, so we're caught up now to kind of where they met. So he's still doing this even after he met Carla. They met Carla in October 87, and this is December 87. Yeah. Okay. So after after he had met Carla in October. He continued his way. Yes. So in December 16th of 1987, there was a rape of a 15-year-old girl. The next day, the Toronto police issued a warning to the women in Scarborough uh, telling them not to travel alone at night, especially those riding buses. Yeah, what the hell are we going to do? I mean, you got to get around. Right. I mean, you can't have somebody ride the bus with you home, and then how are they going to get home? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, I guess just uh, be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, there you go. Now, December 23rd of 1987, just a few days later, there was a rape of a 17-year-old girl with a knife that Paul used to threaten his victims with. Mm. And at this point... He began to be known as the Scarborough Rapist. Well, I don't know if he wasn't known as the Scarborough Rapist, but... Yeah, they, that's what they uh, dubbed him as. Yes. Yeah. 
Now, the following year, this was a few months had passed. On April the 18th of 1988, there was an attack of a, reported of a 17-year-old girl. I don't know who it was or what it happened, but there was a report of attack. So in he's, he's in pretty, around Scarborough, yeah. It's pretty... Uh, Ballsy. Yes. Yeah. Now, May the 25th of 1988, Paul was nearly caught by a uniformed police officer stalking out a bus shelter. And the police officer noticed him hiding under a tree and pursued him on foot, but Paul got away. Yeah, he must have been fast. He must have. Now, just five days later, on May the 30th of 1988, there was a rape of an 18-year-old woman in Mississauga, Ontario. This was about 25 miles southwest of Scarborough. Right. So we don't know if Paul did all these, but we're just reporting these rapes in and around the area. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Anybody taking his title. Now, on October the 4th, this was a year after he met Carla. So he took a little bit of a date. Yeah. So it was, we jumped from May to October. Okay, yeah. I'm just keeping up. There was an attempted rape in Scarborough, and his intended victim fought him off, and Paul inflicted two stab wounds to her thigh and buttocks. Mm which required about 12 stitches. 12 stitches in your butt. Yeah, that's a lot, man. Mm. Yeah. Now, the next month, on November 16th, there was a rape of an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. That's what's ballsy as hell to me. I mean, right there in the yard, in man. The yard. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this time, after they uh, gave this guy the Scarborough rapist name and moniker, the police informed a task force to capture this guy. It took them long enough. It did. And uh, on December 27th of 1988, there was a attempted rape with a neighbor chasing Paul off. I guess you fought him off and he got away. There's probably another one in the yard, you think? Probably. Hey, what are y'all doing over there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know unless people had fenced-in backyards. I or guess. I don't know. It's just to me, I guess you're thinking, you know, what you know. It's just somebody's big front yard and somebody <laughs> just going at it in the front yard. But it seems like he gets more and more brave with all this. Yeah, no reason, yeah. The next year, I mean, he took about a six-month time off, June the 20th of 1989. Well, you remember, this is now the time he's also dating Carla, but she don't know about now. Yeah. So it depending on what they were doing, and we'll get back to that. We'll we'll back up and start there, but we just want to give you a, what's going on in the meantime, yeah. Yeah, in the Scarborough area. Right. Oh, yeah, on June 20th of 1989, there was an attempted rape and the young woman fought back, and her screams alerted some neighbors. Yeah. And Paul fled with scratches on his face. Yeah, she got him good. Yeah. And August the 15th of 1989, there was a rape of a 22-year-old woman that was reported. And then in November of 89, there was a rape of a 15-year-old girl that Paul saw at a bus shelter. Yeah. So, yeah. In December the 22nd of 1989, there was a rape of a 19-year-old woman. So in and around Scarborough, man, it's going on. I mean, there's some... Yeah, if he was between 15 and 20, look out. But we got to remind people, too, that, and we'll remind people later that Paul loved the younger women. Yeah. He yeah. had a, a fascination yeah, for them. Yeah. yeah. Now, the following year, on May the 26th of 1990, there was a rape of a 19-year-old woman, and the victim's recollection of her attacker enabled the police to create a computer composite portrait right which was released two days later by the police and publicized in the toronto and surrounding areas in july 1990 two months after police received tips that bernardo resembled the scarborough rapist 
and he was interviewed by two police detectives. Yeah, I think most of the time when he attacked these women, he always attacked them from behind and would put his hand around their throat and hold a knife to them and then do what he was doing from behind, you know, to keep from being seen. Except for this one girl, I guess she got a good look. But we've got pictures of Paul, and we've got a, a picture of this composite that was done. And, man, he looks just like it. Yeah, even his friends was like, man, this looks just like you. Yeah. And he was like, ah, oh, I bought a, you know, just going on with it. But he was slick. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about Carla Homolka. Okay. Now, Carla Leanne Homolka was born on May the 4th of 1970. So she was a little bit younger than Paul. She was a lot younger than him. Yeah. I think he was 23 and she was 17 when they met. Yeah. And she was born in Port Credit, Ontario, Canada, to Carl Homolka and Dorothy Seeger. Yeah. Now, her father, Carl, was a Czechoslovakian immigrant. Mm Mm-hmm. And he worked as a traveling salesman. He was an alcoholic as well. Yeah. And he often fought with their mother, Dorothy. Yeah. They got in some brutal fights. But Carla had two younger sisters, uh, Tammy and Lori. Mm-hmm. But during uh, Carla's younger years, she enjoyed drawing and she loved animals. But she was very smart, Dale. Yeah, she was very smart. Yeah, third yeah. grade. Yeah, she uh, in third grade she had an IQ test and come back at uh, 131, which put her in the 98th percentile. Smart the kid, top man. 98, yeah. Smart kid. But she loved playing with animals, and she loved playing with her Barbie dolls. And it was reported one time that she had invited a friend over to play with Barbie dolls. Mm-hmm. And when the friend got there, Carla had everything set up yep. of what they were going to do and how they were going to play with their Barbies. Yeah, she pretty much had it all scripted out. It was like she had like I don't know ten or twelve Barbies, and she knew what they were going to do, what they were going to say, how they acted, the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, and if the friend suggested another storyline or something to do with the Barbies, you know. She's, yeah, she'd just, like, she just pack them up and say, we ain't playing. Yeah. So she said, basically, there was a play date that wasn't much of a play date. Yeah, I'm going to take my Barbies and go home. <laughs> yeah. But during Carla's younger years, about the age of 12, she started reading some Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew mysteries. And she became obsessed with true crime. Mm. And as she grew up, um, she got a little bit more interested in the occult and the dark side. Ooh, yeah. This is some dark stuff. Yeah, she started wearing dark clothes, wearing eye, dark eye makeup, and even colored her hair different colors. She went gothy on us. She did. And during her high school years, she was known to be a nonconformist regarding fashion and gave the impression that she didn't care what other people thought of her. Mm-mm. And at one point, she dated a guy named Doug. Doug. Yeah, sorry, Doug. And admitted later on to experimenting with drugs, and they even had sex. She often fantasized about weird situations related to death and once attempted to cut herself with a knife. Right. Yeah, well, she cut her. I think she was cutting herself and then, you know, a little eh, fault suicide attempts and some other stuff, probably trying to get a little attention I think during I read, this emo phase. I think I read she'd cut herself and put uh, nail polish in the wounds. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. To, to, like, I guess, tattoo them or something or mark them. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Now, when Carl was in high school, she got a part-time job at a veterinary clinic. And then she graduated high school in 1988. And then after graduating high school, she was hired by the Thorold Veterinary Clinic as a full-time veterinary technician, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Carla and Paul, you know, they were dating, and Paul was spending a lot of time over at Carla's house. Yeah. And the parents loved him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was their, their weekend son, I think he said. Yeah. He had a, a job as an accountant, mm-hmm. and he had them boyish good looks, had the the bleached blonde hair, had like that, that California look. And he was smooth, man. Yeah. Like I said, you know, he'd been wearing this mask of being happy and being since he was a kid. You know, he always masked everything he did. You know, even though when he was shit was going bad at home, he always had the outward portrayal of being happy and always smiling with the big dimples on his face, and everybody just loved him. Yeah. He wanted to pinch his cheeks. Yep. Yeah, and the family loved him. Like I said, they got along with good with him, and he was just uh, there with Carla. Yeah, I think he lived about two hours away, so he made the, he was making the trek to come over and see her, you know, a lot. So yeah, it's a long way. And I'm sure that he may have stayed the weekend. Yeah, I think that's for sure that's what he was doing. Staying know. the weekend there at the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is kind of odd to me. You know, she's 17, he's 23. Hmm, ain't mm-hmm. happening in my house. <laughs> no, but now keep in mind that um, during all this time, Paul was committing some crimes. He yeah. was committing some rapes and stuff on young girls. Oh yeah. And by 1990. Paul had be he had became increasingly obsessed with Carla's fifteen year old sister Tammy. Yeah, yeah, he was spending a lot of time, you know, like we said, with the Homoka family. Right, and he would often flirt with Tammy. Yeah, when at this point he was also kind of starting to kind of control Carla a good bit. You know, he would uh, come and. When he was coming up there, he was kind of taking over her life a little bit, deciding what she should wear and how she could style her hair and what she should eat and what she should believe. And, you know, he'd calling her fat and ugly and just starting to get in there a little bit and take control of her, of her thoughts, really. Mm-hmm. He's kind of really manipulating her. Yeah. Pretty strong hair. Yeah. But Paul, he, I think he resented the fact that uh, Carla had a, bo- a former boyfriend named Doug. Carla was used goods. Yeah. That was his that's what he kept telling her and he did she wasn't a virgin exactly so she was already used goods yeah you know and he would even come in and give her a self-improvement list of stuff she should do and he leave submitted her and you know encouraged you know should make her kind of encourage his sexual activity exactly you know he's kind of like making her do what he wanted to do but without seeming though he was doing it and she was wanting to do anything to please this guy yeah she didn't want to lose nothing she this was her her dream come true it was her her kin to her barbie and and keep in mind she wanted to do anything to please this guy yeah yeah Yeah. whatever it took yep yeah and but like i said he resented the fact that she wasn't a virgin them being together. Yeah. Now, they had sex all the time, but he always would drop that on her that she was used goods. Exactly. So that's when he became fascinated with her younger sister. Yes. Who was 15, Tammy. Mm-hmm. And this is when he would tell Carla to do something to her window blinds. I think break the blind so he could peer in at Tammy from the outside. Yeah, whatever whatever he asked, she did. Yeah, like uh, he he was a voyeur, you know, he was a peeping tomin. <laughs> he would, and he would stand outside or go in there and look, and he's like, "What are you doing?" So like, well, I'm watching Tammy to watch her undress, watch her sleep, do whatever. And when it got to where he couldn't see, he had Carla go in and break the blinds, like he said, so he could still see in. And he would stand out her uh, stand outside her room and masturbate in the yard. And then sometimes uh, Carla would help him. Yeah. So that 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 deep of uh, manipulation going on. Yeah. All right, Dale. Now during this time, you know they did that composite sketch of uh, well, it was a com- 
composite computer rendering. Yes. And it looked just like Paul. And uh, they were people reporting that it, you know, it looked like Paul. So they went to him and got to talking to him. The authorities did. And they brought him in. And he was. they were very impressed with him. Yeah. You know, they weren't. They were saying that you know him being an accountant and just a nice young man, and, and he, he, had a, he, he had a serious girlfriend. And he didn't fit the profile of what they were looking for. Yeah, he just wouldn't do something like this. No, huh? So they they let him go. Yeah, well, they, you know they and they came in, but actually before they let him go, they asked him if he would volunteer a DNA sample. Yeah, and he said sure. He gave him whatever he wanted to do, and I think he gave him blood, hair, and saliva or whatever. They got it all. But also at this time, they had submitted more than 130 other people's samples for DNA testing. And at this point in, uh, in Ontario, they only had one person that could do these tests. So it was going to take a while. But, yeah, he did come in, and he really smoothed them over and told them what they wanted to hear, gave them a sample, and he left. Mm-hmm. Just, just like that. Yeah. So that was on. Uh, but he even admitted that he resembled the composite. Yeah, yeah. And he said that all of his friends teased him about it, you know, and thought it was funny. He said, you know, but I just, I just don't think it was funny at all. But, but if you look at it, it looks, you could tell it's him. Yeah. And that was on uh, November 20th of 1990. Yeah. They went ahead. And they only kept him for 35 minutes. Yeah. So they had to tell you that uh, he talked his way right out of that. They weren't interested in him at all. No. Mm-mm. Especially, I mean, he gave up, you know, the samples and everything. So it was just kind of like, well, on to the next one. But like we said, uh, Paul, he had this fascination with Carla's younger sister, Tammy. And like we said, she was wanting to please Paul in any way. Mm-hmm. So she decided that she was going to give Tammy's virginity to Paul. Well, Paul talked her into this, I, yeah. I think. I think so, too. I mean, he just kept on and on and on. And she was she was, she was, just so afraid he was going to leave. Yeah, like it was her virginity to give. Right. Yeah. You know, what, what can I do to you know to make him happy so i'm gonna give you my 15 year old sister's virginity yeah so they hatched a plan yeah and for paul to take her virginity yeah and he's like well she don't have to know it you know Mm -hmm. she's like we can't do this you're crazy well she don't have to know it so that's when they uh they come up with a plan to lace her she always made uh tammy spaghetti so she was gonna lace her meal with some valium that she stole from the veterinary office yeah so that's what they did she put a bunch of valium in her uh spaghetti and then Tammy ate it, and of course, after a little bit, she passed out. And so Paul starts to rape her. Within a minute or so, she wakes up. Yeah. So it didn't happen. The, the plan has been foiled. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, but so she thought, well, maybe that'll be okay. But then it didn't. He just kept on. It, it didn't slow him down a bit. Maybe, no. Actually, it made it worse. I think. Yeah, he was he was determined to take her virginity. Yeah. And the second attempt to do this was on December the. 23rd of 1990 mm-hmm. this was following a christmas dinner at the homoka family home right and one part we've left out a little bit of this is that paul was a he was a music guy he he was a, <laughs> aspiring to be a, a like rapper a rapper and do music but he also was aspiring to be a filmmaker and he always had his handy video camera with him yeah and constantly was making movies and stuff like that mm-hmm and then uh, there was reports that were, you know, they would do anything and whatever. He was filming. He was constantly filming everything. So Christmas dinner was no, no nothing different. He no. Was, he was filmed the whole thing, one of them, you know, hanging around the Christmas tree and everything, the whole family, you know. Having a good Christmas. Yeah. But later that evening, the family, the parents, they went to bed. Right. And down in the basement, Tammy and Paul were hanging out and having some drinks and stuff. And they asked 
15 year old tammy to join them to hang out with them yeah and the, her parents that night had gave them you know permission to have a drink or two you know just just celebrate even yep. though she was only 15 and uh so like you said they went to they went upstairs went to bed and tammy and uh, paul was gonna go down to the basement and invite her to come hang out with them and of course you know she was pretty smitten for paul too you know there was lots of cases where they would be somewhere and sitting down and Tammy would come running and jump on Paul's lap and hug him and go, look, don't you think I'm prettier than, than Carla? Don't you, I'm younger than Carla, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just yeah. running up and it would kind of eat up Carla a little bit and she was trying to hold back, but she'd also tell her to get the hell away from him, you know, when Paul wasn't around because she, she was a little jealous. Yeah. But at the same time, her, uh, her feelings to keep Paul happy was over everything else. Exactly. But while the parents were sleeping upstairs, they spiked Tammy's drink with some sleeping pills. Yeah, Halcyon. Yeah. And then once she was unconscious, they undressed her, and uh, Paul got out his camera yep. and started to video. And then he uh, ordered uh, Carla to get some halothane that she had stolen from uh, from work, which is uh, anesthetic. Yeah, this is used on animals too. Yeah, for animals. sleep. And it's supposed to be administered through a breathing tube, you know, mixed with oxygen. But she didn't have none of that, so they just put it on a rag hole in her face. Yeah, which is very, uh, I guess, toxic to the skin. Yeah, it could be deadly. This stuff was supposed to be meant as instructed, otherwise, it could be very deadly. Mm-hmm. But Paul was videoing all this, and they were keeping uh, tammy unconscious mm-hmm. and paul's like i said paul's videoing this and he even forced carla to rape her own sister yeah yeah which was sick man yeah and then on the videotapes that came out later like i said there's a lot of stuff where it says that little like she she was openly you know joining in but that's up to interpretation everybody's, everybody's interpretation because yeah. you know some people say she did some people say she don't and then uh i watched the movie carla which you know how that movies are but in that movie, he's like, this part here, he's orders orders her to to go down on her sister, to be quite frank. And she's like, I'm not doing that. And so he just smacks the shit out of her. Like, I mean, starts beating her, you know. And so you don't mess up my movies. You do what I say, and that's the way it's going to be. This is how much control Paul had over her. Right. So then, you know, so, and it's always, you know, you've got, I guess, about four sides of this story. You don't never know who to believe and what's going on. But it kind of seems that way to me, you know. Like, I mean, he would just beat beat shit out of her, and she would do what he said. Yeah. So in all the movies, it looks like she's you know right on right on board with everything, whether she is or not. Yeah. And then when Carla was done, she took the video camera and videoed Paul raping her sister Tammy. Yes. Yeah. While holding a rag on her face. Yeah. To make sure she didn't wake up like she did the first time. That that was the whole point of that. But then Tammy began to vomit and stopped breathing after Carla held her down to clear her throat. And they tried to revive Tammy. And they got her dressed again and moved her to her room. Yeah, they couldn't revive her. They were trying to wake her up, but they couldn't. So she called 911. They cleaned up the evidence and everything. Yeah, and told them to come that uh, Tammy, her sister, wasn't breathing. So meanwhile, while they were waiting for them to come, they cleaned up the evidence, cleaned her up, put her clothes back on, then took her upstairs and put her in bed. Yep. And... As a result of this halothane, Tammy had a chemical burn on her face. Yes. A big red splotch. And you can Google this. You can Google Tammy Hamolka, her autopsy photo, 
and you can see that red burn mark chemical burn mark man it's brutal yeah they tried to play it off as like it was a rug burn from where they were trying to put her back on her bed or where they were doing something they, they said it was a rug burn but you can definitely tell it's not a rug burn Mm-mm. it's it's pretty rough yeah and they even ruled this as an accident man yeah they didn't even question it i don't even i don't even think he done any toxicology on this little girl i don't think so either uh-uh they just said they were all down there drinking, and it got out of hand, and Tammy drunk too much and got to vomiting and choked on her vomit. Well, in one one case in there, they said that they were all watching movies, and Paul and Carla had fallen asleep watching the movies, and then they heard something, and when they heard it, looked up, it was Tammy sick, was throwing up, and then had, uh, had choked on her own vomit. Yeah. So they had all the, all the bases covered, and I don't know why they believed it, but it was, they did. Yeah, they bought it. And even at the funeral, Paul was even caught stroking Tammy's hair as she was laying in the casket. Yeah, weirdo. And there was a 1993 exhumation, and it revealed that the couple had also placed a photo of theirs in the casket. Yeah. And we got that photo we'll post on our our, uh, socials, too, which is pretty damn creepy, man. It was them, uh, like, smiling, laughing, having, having a good time. Yeah, here, take us with you. Yeah. But after the funeral, the family, the Homoka family, they didn't want Paul around anymore. No. They they were grieving, and they just wanted just close-knit family there at the home. So Paul was told to keep his distance. Yep. Yeah. So she, he left, and she went with him. Yeah, they moved out. After uh, Carla and Paul had moved out to uh, Port Dehousey, they uh, had their own place, so there was then, uh, lots more freedom to do stuff they wanted to do, especially do their, their fantasy stuff, their fantasy stuff and role playing, and of course movie making. You know, because that was his deal. Everything they did was filmed. I mean, around the house, anywhere they went, and everything they did, including any sexual activities, everything was filmed, which is weird to me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they did there, and there was even things came up later where um, Carla would actually role play being her sister. Yep. She would come in actually wearing some of uh, Tammy's clothes and talking about coming to tell, talk to Paul and telling him how she wanted her, him to take her virginity. and she Talking was, in Tammy's voice, too. Yeah, that she loved him and all this stuff, and, and I really hope Carla don't find out. I mean, she was really juicing it up yeah. for the camera, you know. So was, even as going as far as taking a rose and running all over Paul's body, and I mean all over Paul's body, and then saying, we'll take this later and put it on her grave. Yeah. Knowing it's been everywhere that you were for her. God. So, yeah. So they were getting into some pretty creepy stuff and filming everything. So they're just escalating more now. Yeah. To his his uh, appetite just will not be satisfied. Mm-mm. And it's she just... thought, you know, after doing that, that everything would be happy and he would be back into her. But uh, that is not true. Mm-mm. Just keep in mind, too, that, you know, during all this time, Paul and uh, Carla, they were, you know, they were a serious couple and they'd gotten engaged yeah, I think, wasn't that at Niagara? Yeah, they did. That he proposed to her. Mm-hmm. And then uh, her their wedding was supposed to be sometime that next summer, I think. Yeah, like six months six later. Six months out, yeah. Yeah. So while, basically while proposing to her, and I think part of that came up too, you know, it was like, well, you're gonna, why are you wanting to do this and be with her? Speaking of Tammy, he's like, you're still going to marry me, right? I mean, she was that's all she was worried about. And he's like, of course I'm going to marry you. My, I love you. I just want to fuck her. Yeah. That was his quote. That was, yeah. I was gonna say we don't say that often, but yeah, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. So he said that's why you know, and he kept 
trying to get her to get with Tammy, and that was, you know, before before they had moved out here. Now, on June 7, 1991, Carla had invited one of her co-workers to go out on, like, a girl's, girl's day. Yeah, she was a teenager. Yeah. She 15 was years 15, old. Yeah. So how she was working, I don't know. But anyway, she was working at the vet office with her, and uh, they was going to go out and have dinner and you know, do some girl stuff, whatever. And shopping. So, stuff. Go shopping, hang out on yeah. the nails, that kind of gimmick. And then uh, decided to, you know, ask her, how about you'd like to come back to our place for a couple of drinks? And so the girl says, sure. So they go home, and, uh, of course, Tammy spikes her drinks. And, and this she, girl never drunk before. Right. And then so Tammy spiked her drinks, giving her a halcyon-laced drinks, and then she calls Paul and says, how about you come on home and have a surprise wedding gift for you? Now, Halcyon is just a, a sleep aid to help insomnia. Yeah. It's pretty strong. Strong, yes. Mm. So uh, Paul runs straight home. Guess what? They get out the video camera. Yep. And the two rape her. Yeah. And the next day, the girl wakes up with, you know, with extreme nausea and don't know what she's going, feeling like feeling like crap, even though she doesn't realize she's being raped. Now, I don't know how she don't realize she's being raped, but that was the story. Yeah. And then, then she gets you thinking, damn, that, that alcohol really kicked my ass. Yeah, she'd never drunk before, so, yeah, it, I guess she didn't know yeah, that'd be, what to expect. Yeah. So uh, so she just left. Mm-hmm. And then in August, she was invited over again, and she came back over. Yeah, this girl has never been identified. She's just known as Jane Doe. Right. So she came back over, even though all this was filmed, and it all came out later, but she still, you know, they still kept her identity hit. Um, she came back over, and they'd done the same thing again. But this time, almost the same thing happened to happened to Tammy. She stopped breathing during the rape. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Carla had called 911 to have them come. And then um, they Jane, were able Doe, to Jane Doe come back, too. She was being revived. Yeah. So they just call back and say, never mind, everything's good. So the ambulance just turns around and goes back. They, they don't come and check on it or nothing. That must be a Canada thing because even in the United States, if you call 911, they're coming out. They're coming. If you, if you call and say no, they're coming. Yeah, even if your kid calls, <laughs> is, uh, you know, being funny or don't realize what they're doing, they're coming. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to one of my daughters when she was young. She called 911. Yeah. Or something silly, and yeah, they came. Yeah, they show up, man. <laughs> they don't take that, you know, lightly. No. So, so here they go. They're, they're escalating a little more. They've uh, then raped this girl twice, and almost killed her. Yeah. So things are getting a little crazy. Yeah, and this girl no is none the wiser, man. Yeah, that that kind of blows my mind. I, you would think you'd know if something like that happened to you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a lady, so I don't know. But I'm just thinking, you would think something's different. Yeah. Why am I? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, I got you. Without getting too in the weeds, but anyway, there's a lot more to go. Must be. Yeah, there's a lot more to this, but at this point, Dale, we're gonna call this the end of part one. Okay. Because uh, we got a lot more to get into with Paul and Carla, and we wanted to do this justice to cover these two and all their stuff they get into. Yes. Yeah, because it gets a little more. It gets a little more out there. Yeah. And yeah, there, there are no no. There's no signs of slowing down here, folks. No, it's not. It gets worse. Yeah. But that's the end of part one. We'll be back next week with part two. Yep. Hope you enjoyed that, and uh, it's going to get crazy. All right. We're going to get out of here, bud. Let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.